Yeah. And we are here with Go for Legend, Ricky Fong. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with this individual today. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Coach thanks Foggy. for having me on. Appreciate it. Yes. Now, Coach Foggy, I know some people may know of you from being with the University of Minnesota Gophers. But I want to go back a little bit to the time that when you first opened your eyes to the world. Where were you born, Coach Foggy? And where were you raised? Because those two things are different. Yeah, kind of true. Um, I'm originally from Waterloo, South Carolina. Um, it's a small town in the upper state of uh, South Carolina. Real small town. Um, probably about three or 4,000 people, tops. And, wow. uh, you know, we, we always had a saying, if you're approaching our town and you had to bend down and tie your shoe, by the time you raced up, you missed it. So uh, <laughs> really small, but uh, a community of, of folks that got along with each other. And um, I'm the youngest of nine kids. Um, four brothers and four sisters. And uh, my mom and dad um, did a great job of raising us. My dad was a town barber for almost 60 years, his he's whole a life. town barber. Town barber, yep. Okay. Um, he's owned his own barbershop since 1959. Uh, but unfortunately, we lost dad two and a half years ago uh, to COVID. Um, he was 83. And we lost our mom in 99. And she was only 59 at the time. Um, she passed away of stomach cancer. But um, like I say, they did a great job of raising all nine kids. All nine kids. Wow, nine kids. Where did you attend high school? So uh, my high school was actually where my dad's barbershop um, was. And that's Lawrence High School. And so we was pretty fortunate. Um, you know, we still had to take the bus. It was probably about 10, 10 miles away. Uh, we actually had one of our close friends who, who ran track, he would actually run the school, uh, Stanley Beeks, and it's, it's just amazing to us. Um, and, and lo and behold, he actually ended up going to the Marines. Surprise, surprise. But um, yeah, my, my older brothers, I had a good fortune, was athletes. And they all played football, baseball, basketball. And so me being the last one of the group, you know, I always tagged along with them. And so um, that's why I always, my mom always said that she, she saved the best for last. For last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Lawrence was a um, really good high school. Um, lo and behold, that I know, I found out probably, probably 10 years ago that the school was probably 95% white. And, um, and I was the first black quarterback to, to start at our high school. And so, uh, like I say, some things that I'm learning as I get older, but as we was growing up, um, it was just a thing of beauty. You know, everybody got along, great community, and um, we ended up winning the state championship in football in uh, 1983. And I wasn't the best football player on our football team, but I was the best athlete because I, I lettered in baseball, basketball, football, and track. So uh, uh, we had this one guy named Lonnie Pulley. And people would come and scouts would come every week to see Lonnie run the football because it was Lonnie Pulley right, Lonnie Pulley left, Lonnie Pulley ran the football all night. But it still had your face there with <laughs> no <Lonnie>. question. <laughs> I had to hand it to him. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got a lot of publicity from Lonnie. So we, we, it's a, 
it's probably about eight to ten guys from our football team got Division One scholarships um, that year in nineteen eighty three. And so, and I was going to ask that what 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 was your next path mm-hmm. after high school? So after high school, I had to make a decision on what sport did I want to play. And so, because uh, I had scholarships in three sports, but I really love playing football. Actually, I really love playing quarterback. Now, time, time out. Don't just pass over. What were the other sports that you had scholarship to? You don't just go pass that now. <laughs> Multiple sports or scholarship. Yep. So um, football, basketball, and baseball. I had um, a scholarship. Not Division One scholarships in basketball and, it don't and baseball. But it don't the offer was there. Yes, that's what um, I was going to say. It don't matter. True. But um, I had a love of playing quarterback, you know, um, it, it made my parents proud, especially my mom. My mom was a diva, and so oh, okay. uh, her baby boy was a high school quarterback. So I wanted to continue to play a quarterback, so I um, went to the University of North Carolina. They was recruiting me really hard um, as an athlete. And then um, there was a coach, John Palermo, was recruiting me at uh, East Carolina, and they was going to let me play quarterback. Well, lo and behold, Coach Palermo got – um, hired at the University of Minnesota. And so I told my mama, well, I guess I'm going to Carolina because, you know, Minnesota's far. And she was like, just go take a trip. You know, you never really been anywhere far. Um, just go see and, and see how if you like it. And so I went, came to Minnesota, met Coach Hope, Coach Lou Holtz, great oh, guy. Come on, come on now. We don't just come into that like that. No. <laughs> now, coming there, I believe that you were a freshman that started. I got to get to that. Okay. Yeah. I um, got to finish my recruiting trip. Ah! <laughs> so I came to Minnesota. Um, uh, like I said, met Co- Coach Holtz, uh, Coach Palermo. I actually stayed with him and his family for a night. Um, went out with uh, Melvin Anderson and Dwayne Dutrell. Those guys showed me a good time. Uh, took me to J.D. Horse. Had some good food. Uh, seeing the campus was great. Um, I came back and I go, Mom, I'm, I think I'm still going to Carolina. And the reason being was I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Oh, okay. That makes huge. Sense. And so when I, Coach Evans was recruiting me at Carolina, I gave him three things that I needed. And if he was able to do that for me, I was going to go to Carolina. I told him I wanted to meet Michael Jordan get a signed autograph from Mike, and take a picture with Mike. So I went to Carolina. All three things happened. Come home. Mom, I'm going. Lo and behold, Jordan declares for the NBA. <laughs> of course. Anything else would be uncivilized. <laughs> right. So I go, Mom, I'm going to North Carolina. Call that guy in Minnesota and see if I can come up there. She called Coach Palermo, and she, he goes, yeah, we would love to have Ricky come up here. And so that was pretty much it. Jordan went to the pros, and I came to Minnesota. I do have a question. How was it being with legendary coach Lou Holtz? Man, to be honest, this guy was smart. Football smart, people smart, motivational smart. He just knew everything. Because as a 17, 18-year-old, right, you're looking up to this guy, and he's He's telling you how to shake hands with folks. He's telling you about football. He's telling you about life things. 
off the football field, how to be successful in the business world. And so he opened like a, a whole nother realm of living because you got to remember, I'm from a small town, right? right? right. And I'm coming to this big city and I'm about to fish out of water. <laughs> and so he kind of helped prepare me um, for the city life. He helped me prepare for the media. And so it was just a lot of stuff that Coach Hope knew off the field, but on the field, he knew every position on the football field. Oh, you every position. So he's kind of like the prince of Minnesota, knowing how to play every <laughs> instrument. That he- right. There's no question because he always, he told me a story. He goes, my freshman year, I went out for football. And Coach was a little dude. He was five six, maybe one thirty. So he's a little guy. Wow. So he went out for this freshman year. He went out for football. Just got his butt kicked, and he go, nope, not gonna play. He got into coaching his sophomore year. So he's coaching his peers. So by the time he was a senior, he was an assistant coach on the high school football team. Wow. So he he had just had the knack for football. And so, I mean, and, and the guy knew offense and knew defense, but the one thing he really knew was how to motivate. Coach O could get a dead man up, make him rise and play some football. I've seen him and talked to him probably – 30 years later, he still knew my mom and dad's name, first name. Wow. Still knew their first name? Their first name, Maddie and Moody. Now, that's impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah, because you imagine how many guys he has coached. Yes, I was just going to say that. And another funny story is me and Tony Rice are good buddies, and we had Tony Rice coming to Minnesota with Lou here. I was recruiting Tony. Well, when Lou left to go to Notre Dame, he took Tony with him. And so Tony, years ago, Tony was always, he came back and told me, go, man, I don't know what the heck you did to Coach Holtz. But for about a year and a half, he was calling me Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> well, he must have been doing something right because he remembered your name. He said he must have had a positive influence on him yep. because he called me Ricky for about a year and a half. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I am going to bring this up too. So as you were a freshman, because I'm getting back to that because you started as a freshman. That's still impressive to me in one night. So as a freshman, you had another freshman there with you too that happens to be a, a good friend of mine, Daryl Thompson. No. No? No. Who was? So Daryl didn't come to uh, my junior year. Really? So yeah, Daryl's two years behind me. Uh, but he. Just like me, he stepped in as a true freshman and played right away. Right away. Yep, because that guy was a stud and still is a stud. Uh, yeah, Darrell was a real deal. Um, when when he came in the football camp that fall, he looked like a senior. That's how, how built he was. He was not so a small physically, guy. No, physically he was prepared to play for the Big Ten. Wow. And – there's some impressive wins when you were at the, the helm at one night. Can you tell me a little, little bit about a couple of those impressive wins? Yeah, so um, in 1983, the Gophers was 1-11. Got smoked by Nebraska, 85-15. to 15. And so when we came in 1984, uh, my freshman year, we beat Wisconsin in Wisconsin. They ended up having 11 guys going to draft that year. And would be the Rose Bowls bound Iowa Hawkeyes 
the last game of the year in 1984. So with that same team and new coaching staff and a new quarterback, and Gary Couch was the only other freshman that didn't redshirt uh, with me that year. Uh, we ended up winning four games, and we was competitive in all 11 games. So that's what good coaching does for you. And then 1985, uh, the year Coach Holtz left, uh, so 86 was another big win for us. Um, went down to Michigan, 27 point on the dogs, I think we were. That's what I was waiting for you to talk about. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was funny because we just stayed around in that game. They couldn't put us away. And so our defense played extremely well. Uh, your boy DT had some, uh, great runs in the, in the fourth quarter, uh, to pick up some crucial first down for and I made a 20, 22-yard run to get a set up for a field goal. Um, and Chip Lomelo came in and kicked like a 30-yard field goal to win it. So uh, that was the first time in my life I've ever heard a solid 101,000 people. Solid. Silent. How, how did it feel hearing that? i just like to say that for the athletes. So, so cause some of them are not going to experience that. How did that feel <laughs> hearing that? It was beautiful. You know, my only regret was I didn't get the jug while I was on the field. <laughs> Come on, Coach. Come on, Coach. But, no, it was beautiful. I think we might have had uh, maybe 100 people with uh, maroon and gold on. And that's all we heard. We heard them shoot. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so it was a beautiful thing that day. So after the U of M, where did your path lead to? Well, I wanted to continue playing football. I knew that for sure. And, uh, you know, I was more of a uh, runner slash passer in college. And so looking at the NFL, you didn't really see that going on at the time in right. the mid-'80s. Correct. Uh, you, I think maybe Randall Cunningham was the one. quarterback of same here. Philadelphia years. Yep. Uh, but then I was looking at the CFL the Canadian Football League, and there was. There was black quarterbacks playing up there at the time. Warren Moon was one. Thank you for saying that, too. Yep. Um, another uh, guy was actually one of my good buddies now, Damon Allen. Uh, he's the brother of Marcus Allen. Oh, what Damon. a famous running back. Yep. Damon played 25 years in the Canadian Football League. Brother. 20? Started. Not just sitting on the bench at the end of his career. He was still starting. At 45, he played 25 years. Wow. And so um, hired an agent and told him I, I want to go that route, play in the CFL. And uh, I first started my first career um, game was in Vancouver with the BC Lions. And so I was there for two years, got a call at midnight, said I was getting traded to Toronto with the Argonauts. And I talked to the GM who had brought me to BC. It was like, I'm like 4-1-1. One one. How am I getting traded? And he goes, well, we're bringing in Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie, coach? Of course. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, same here. You know, I had knew about Doug um, when he was playing it in, uh, in Canadian, not Canadian League, but in college. You know, had the Hail Mary over uh, Mammy Hurricanes, <laughs> Heisman Trophy winner. So I understood. Uh, so I just wanted to know uh, what time was my flight, where was my ticket. And I was heading to Toronto. 
And uh, so Toronto actually ended up working out for me. Um, got to play with Rocket Ismail, who was a um, uh, Heisman Trophy one. I was going to say, you got to hit that pose. Yeah, <laughs> with Notre Dame and Coach Hose. Yep. Um, we had three owners, two guys who was really funny, and one guy was really quiet. So John Candy was the owner. Um, John, wait a minute. The comedian. The, the comedian, yep. John Candy. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. The funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Um, Wayne Gretzky. The great one. The great one, <laughs> yep. And then uh, the third guy was Bruce McNall. Bruce McNall was a business guy out of L.A. and ended up doing some funny stuff. They got him in, landed him in prison for a little while. So uh, we ended up winning the Great Cup in 1991, which is equivalent to the Super Bowl in the NFL. And 92... Um, we had a down year. I think we went six and twelve. And I remember I was at um, Bally's in St. Paul, St. Paul, playing basketball, pickup basketball. And um, you know that was before, kind of before cell phones, almost. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a, they actually got a call at Bally's at the front desk. And I'm going, who in the world calling me at Bally's? And is everybody all right? Um, so it, it was a GM from. Edmonton Eskimos calling me and go, hey, we just traded for you uh, from from Toronto. So it was me and eight of my teammates got traded to Edmonton in 1993. And so that also worked out for us, too, because we ended up winning the Great Cup there in uh, 1993 with the Edmonton Eskimos. Oh, so you doubled it up. Doubled it up. So uh, um, after Edmonton, we expanded to the U.S. So they had four Canadian teams in, on the U.S. soil. And the one I played for was Memphis Mad Dogs. And so that was in 94, 95, 96, 95, 95 Memphis Red, Red Mad Dogs. And Memphis um, was fun. Um, but we, we think we went 99 that year. And so. 500. It was 500, but it didn't, it didn't cut it. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening was Baltimore team won the Great Cup that year, and they just lasted a year because there's a ratio in the CFL. you got to have 16 Canadian players on the team because it's Canadian Football League. So you got to I have, did not know that. Yep, you got to have 16 Canadians and then 20 Americans. Well, if you got teams in America, obviously you're not going to have any Canadian guys. Correct. Right, so – it was a disadvantage to the Canadian teams. So they shut down the, the U.S. teams. And then there was, um, there was 10 years of me being in the CFL, and I was married at the time, and my wife was like, well, I want to go back home to Minnesota. She was from North Minneapolis, and she wanted to be closer to North a family. Side. North side. She wanted to be closer to her family. And so we came back. I'm like, well, I still want to play football. And lo and behold, Minnesota Pike. Was born. Tell us a little and, bit uh, about the Minnesota Pike. It ain't a lot to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so arena, arena had started like in eighty six, eighty seven, um, and so the Pike got a team in ninety six, and so um, Coach Ray Yacht was the head coach, and I asked the new Coach Yacht because he had coached in Saskatchewan in the Canadian Football League, and so it was perfect for me. You know, I was at home in Minnesota. Uh, and be able to play, you know, arena football in, in the state of Minnesota was 
in, in the city of Minneapolis was, was going to be a lot of fun. And it was. It was a lot of fun. Our team wasn't that good, but we had a lot of fun. Um, and after that's one year. That's all that counts right now. <laughs> that's, right? that's right. And after one year, um, they folded because ownership was just wasn't there. Uh, we had our last two games. I don't even think our checks cleared. And so it, it was. But like I say, we had a lot of fun. And we was averaging probably 10,000 people in the wow. stand. So we went, I think we went six and 10 that year. So uh, if we would have had better ownership, we might have had a better team, but it was what it was. And so after they folded, I uh, signed a contract with the New Jersey Red Dogs and I uh, played with New Jersey for four years. And then after New Jersey, I went to uh, play with the Florida Bobcats for two. Um, went back to Toronto and played. Uh, we had an arena team there for a year, played there. And then I played my last year arena football. Uh, I was with the Detroit Fury. And unfortunately, I didn't get to get a championship there. I played a lot of uh, playoff games in arena, but didn't get, didn't get the ring. But you came back here, though, after. I did. So again? I did. So after that, I was 38, and it was like, you got to get your old butt out the league. <laughs> <laughs> and I agreed. And so um, after that, I got in a coaching arena two football. Um, so, but I did, I came back to Minneapolis, um, but I got a job in Amarillo, Texas, uh, coaching arena two, um, coached there for a year. And after Amarillo, I got the head coach in Everett, Washington, uh, for arena two football. And that lasted about six games. Me and my owner just didn't see eye to eye. He wanted to run the football team. Alive. He wanted to run the football players. He should have named himself the head coach. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> yes, because he wouldn't let me do it. And so we decided to part ways. But um, a guy named Derek Stingley, uh, whose son actually plays for the Texans right now, Derek Stingley Jr., oh, okay. uh, defensive back. So Derek called me, actually called me as soon as I got home. He was in Albany, Georgia. He was like, man, I need an offensive coordinator to come down and help me out. So I went down there and helped Derek out. Uh, we end up going nine and zero the rest of the way. Um, got in the playoffs, got to the semifinals. I actually got named uh, assistant coach of the year for just nine games. Congratulations! So that was fun. And so uh, after we got done in Albany, where did I go? Oh, I was done with arena football. So I came back to Minneapolis. Um, was sitting down trying to figure out my next move. Um, I got into being a mortgage broker, and then I got a call from one of my buddies, and it was like, hey, man, they got a high school head coaching job open at Park Center. You should just give them a call. I'm like, man, I don't want to coach. You know, I'm down with football. He's like, man, give them a call. So I called the athletic director. I can't think of his name right offhand. Called him. He was like, yeah, you know, I love to come, you know, interview you, come in, let's chit-chat, and um, – see if this will be a match for you. So I went in, talked with the athletic director. He talked about coach host for two hours. <laughs> and he says, um, at the end of that, he says, your job if you want it. Like, you don't even want to know my philosophy. <laughs> Park <So>, Center. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> but it did. It, it was. I, I really loved coaching at Park Center. You know, it was young men that needed some guidance. 
You know, it wasn't about us winning games on the football field because we was probably the smallest team in that conference. So it was going to be tough for us to win games on the football field. And so I told my coaching staff, we can coach them up as hard as we can, right? Let's just push them to the limit. But let's make sure they're winning off the football field. You know, make sure they go into class. If these kids need a ride home, give them a ride home. If these kids need some meal, give them some meals. And so that's what we did. Um, and we had one young man that I seen, he was a freshman. His name was Amani Hooker. And I told my assistant coach, my um, Coach Strong, Paul Strong, I go, go get that kid. He's going to play varsity as a ninth grader. And he did. Amani um, started for four years. I left after three years uh, to go to Red Wing. And so Amante now is still playing in the NFL. I was going to say the name. Yes. Yeah. Uh, great young man. He's had a, had a great high school career, college career, and is having a great NFL career. So um, the Park Center, like I say, taught me a lot, made me grow a lot and mature and because you had to be a leader or somebody who really needed leadership. So that was fun. And after that, I went down to Red Wing. So I'm going from all black community to I, all white community. I, I noticed that. Yeah. And I did that for a purpose. I wanted to see um, uh, what the kids was like and how they would respond to a black guy. Right? And how the community would respond. So how did they respond? Oh, it was beautiful. They, they hadn't won a game um, in three years. And so I knew from that point on, I'm like, I know I ain't that bad of a coach. We're going to win some games. Right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get one. All you need to one. That's all you need. Yeah. And so my first year, we went four and four. And then my second year, we went uh, seven and, no, six and two. But what happened was they had a core kids who had been playing since like peewee ball. I actually got lucky. So I made all of those kids play every down. There was about eight of them. They played offense, they played defense, and they played special team. They didn't come off the field, and they loved it. And at the beginning of that second year, I went to the band director and go, can your band play at the game? She go, no. Okay. Go, like, is there a stipulation to why they can't play? He go, no, because I don't want them to. I go, okay. Talk to the principal. So – we got 10 band members to come, pep rally band. And there, were, there wasn't a seat in the, in the house at home. It was packed. Everybody loved it. So that's how it should be at a football game, a high school football game. Exactly. And so Red Wing, I, the, the difference between the kids at Park Center and the kids that was at Red Wing, no different. They, most kids were black. Most kids were white. What's the only difference? Because everybody needs something to latch on to. And if you give them something positive, uh, especially on the football team, they'll, they'll go out and go to war for you. But they also need that mentorship and that individual that wants to apply that. And they know? need love. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's no question because they're teenagers, right? And so they're, you get them at the right age to where you can point them in a positive direction. And see, the thing that irks me about most, a lot of coaches is they think that it's their system that works. No, it's the kids. Like you have to buy into the kids because football has been the same since 1800. You can't change it, right? But you can 
change kids' lives by being positive and give them a reason to play. Give them something to play for. When they need leaders. Yes. Positive leaders. Exactly. Because there are negative leaders out there, too. Oh, yes, they are. Yeah. Yes, they are. So we're going to fast forward a little bit here because you're wearing a shirt here that we need to talk about <laughs> a little bit. So new team coming to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. New franchise. Minnesota Myth. How was that phone call first? I would love to hear what that phone call was like and who gave that phone call to Well, I, I, I knew that arena football was trying to come back, period. I didn't actually know that they was coming to Minnesota uh, because um, Lee Hutton, who is the commissioner of the AFL, um, is a gopher too, former gopher. So he's a gopher brother. Correct. So we know we know Mr. Hutton really well. So us Gopher brothers, we tend to hang around each other because we are actually brothers because there wasn't a lot of us, right? Correct. So we we stay in contact. So I've I've seen Lee. Um, I seen him in the spring at a golf outing, and he said he was he was getting together and it was going to be a goal. I said it though it's going to be a team in Minnesota. Um, so I think over the summertime. Uh, late fall, uh, I got whim that Lee was putting a team here. And um, I think I called Lee, or he might have called me. Uh, he said it was going to be a goal. Um, I got in touch with his wife, um, Deanna, Miss Hutton. Miss Deanna. Miss Deanna. Uh, the, who's the owner. owner. Uh, yep, I got a call into her and uh, set up an interview. And you know, if I can get an interview, I'm going to get the job. I mean, that's just the hey. confidence I have in myself, but I know I have a lot of football knowledge. So that was going to be hard for somebody else to come in and trump that. Plus, you're a legend around here, my man. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. Yeah, come so on. It only makes sense. So um, looking forward to it. Of course, it's going to be hard to to get this thing up and running the first year. Uh, that's always going to be challenging because you're going to bring in 35 guys that you don't even know. And so you have to get those guys to trust and uh, work with each other. Uh, they have the, main, the same goal, um, and that is to win. Uh, but, you know, I, it's one baby steps, right? So, you know, guys are calling me, yeah, coach, I want to help you win a championship. But how about help me win one game first? So as we talk about baby steps, for listeners and viewers at home, Tell us a little bit about the rules of AFL because it's much different than the traditional. Yeah, it is. It's different from an out, outdoor game. Uh, the Arena Football um, League plays it almost like a hockey arena or the hockey setting. setting. Hockey settings. Um, instead of the boards, we have padded walls. Uh, it's a 50-yard field with an 8-yard end zone. Um, it's eight on eight instead of eleven on eleven. Uh, we have a running clock um, until clock. yes, until two minutes. It'll stop under two minutes. So it, the pace of the game is fast. So you don't have to sit there and watch the game, <laughs> right? Uh, like you do in baseball. So you're in and out. Um, there's eight on eight. And it, the, the way the arena game is set up, is set up for scoring. Uh, so you can see an average score, 50, 60. 
a game. Say it looked like a basketball game. <laughs> yes. We scored 90 points in a game in, in New Jersey. But we had two. The score was 90 to 84. <laughs> <laughs> you had to stay with the, the pace. You had to stay right. with the pace. <laughs> right. Um, and so I think that's the biggest difference. We got nets um, in the end zone. So when you kick a field goal, uh, you have to kick it through a very narrow entrance. Um, there's no punting. There's no punting. No punting. So you either go for it or you attempt a field goal on fourth down. Pun is not an option. Um, I think that's about it. Um, so it's it's very exciting game. Very exciting yeah, because the fans are right on top of you. There there is no sideline. So the out of bounds are the walls. I was going to ask with the no sideline. What about the coaches? How, where, where do you coach from if there's no <laughs> sideline? Good question. So, um, and this has been from the beginning of arena football. The, whoever's calling the plays, whether the offense or defense coordinator, they're on the field. So they get to stand on the field to call the play. And, you know, you got to be quick on your feet because it's, it's live bullets out there. I was going to say. <laughs> the, 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 chamber, uh, the chamber's going. Right. So the coach do get to sit on the sideline. And some arenas, the, the bench – might be in the end zone. Uh, some arenas might be on the on the sides of the of the wall. So it depends on the, the structure of the arena is where um, the benches are. Now, one thing I am impressed with the Minnesota Myth is the staff. The staff there's a high percentage of people of color that are on the staff, and that's unlike I rarely ever see that. And the first woman Latino woman. As an owner, this is Deanna Hutton, uh, owner. So I'm just impressed at that overall, seeing that. That's just me personally, my POV, yeah. personal view. And, and, you know, that's a good thing because it's time that, that we do allow minorities to have bigger roles in sports. And so people don't realize that that's what arena football has been because a lot of black quarterbacks, like I say, they weren't allowed to play in the NFL. But there's been a ton of black quarterbacks that's played in the ring of football. And so, um, you know, I think my staff just happened to be that way because the guys I hired is the guys I trust, you know. And so, um, but that's just the way it, 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 it fell out. And I'm okay with that. Hey, it's where the cookie crumbles. I like that. That's right. Um, I, w- I do want to ask, when does the season actually start? Okay, so we are doing an open tryout um, next week on the 20th. Oh, the combine. Please the combine. break down the combine for yep. us. And so uh, we've been working probably the last three months in signing players. Uh, so, uh, But we still have a couple positions that are, that are open that we still need to fill. And so that's the main reason we're having an open tryout. So, and it gives guys an uh, opportunity to come and showcase what they can do in front of our staff. You know, instead of just sending the film in and like, okay, coach, here I go. Well, some of the film is five years ago, right? right. And so this gives guys an opportunity to come in uh, to showcase in front of our coaching staff what they can actually do. Um, you know, Minnesota has two or three semi-pro teams. And so there's another opportunity for guys to come in and showcase because we can only invite 35 guys to camp. Okay. And so I think we're probably at 25 right now. 
Uh, so we have another 10 to 12 guys we want to sign. So that'll be a good opportunity for them to come in and showcase. And another way for the myth uh, to be able to get some publicity for our football team also. And we're holding at the University of Minnesota. Um, what day is it? It's January the 20th. Uh, the doors are going to open at 830 for registration. And we'll get going at 9 o'clock. So it's going to be from 9 to noon on the 20th of January. And at the University of Minnesota, which? is Larson Field. Larson Field. Yes, Larson sir. Field. All right. Perfect. Perfect, Coach. Coach, it's been a pleasure sitting here and getting to know you and actually having our viewers get to know you on an in-depth version. Well, I appreciate that. I also want to say that we're starting our training camp April 1st. Uh, we're tentatively having our first game uh, April 27th or 28th. It'll be on the road. We're going to Nashville. And, you know, I want to just say all to all the viewers to make sure you come out uh, supporting the myth. It's a, it's a great sport. It's different from the outdoor football game. Um, it's exciting. You'll be right on top of the game. Um, there's player engagement. There's cheerleader engagement. Probably won't be any coaching engagement because nobody <laughs> wants to see the old guy, but uh, it'll be fun. Well, we're excited here in Minnesota to have the Minnesota myth represent us throughout the state, the states and nation. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Coach. And we look forward to seeing the myth out and about in the community. We'll be there. <laughs> Thank you again, Coach. You're welcome.